Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our worship service. We invite you to gather in the sanctuary. We'll begin. service. hope you've had a good week this past week, and I hope you're looking forward to a good week this coming week. It's a beautiful day outside, and the sun is shining after rain. It feels like that transformative presence of spring, and, uh, and in, this, in this season after Easter, the transformative presence of spring and resurrection and, and new life is before us. Uh, it's also Mother's Day today. Each of us has a mom, um, and we can think about the, the, the presence of kind of mothering and, and mentoring people in our, in our lives, whether, whether that person is our biological mom or not. It's, a, it's an opportunity to think about that, that role of, of being raised up that, that each of us has been in some way to the point where we are now. For our call to worship this morning, I'm going to read from Psalm 118, verses 1 to 7. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. And when you are hard pressed, cry to the Lord. He brought me into this spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on those who oppose me. Let's pray as we start our service. Thank you, God, for your presence with us, for your presence that has brought us to this place this morning in worship. We think of where we have come from this week and where we are hoping to be headed after we leave this place. And right now we sit right here in the middle of that past and that future that is before us. And we sit here in your presence and in the presence of others around us also 
worshiping. We pray that we would be guided in your good grace as we come before you this morning. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of sing um, a song that we haven't sung before while I get organized. As with all things, when we, when we, sing, a, when we sing a new song, please, feel, uh, please, please sing with us when you get comfortable. And please don't when you uh, aren't there yet. So you can join in, uh, you can join in as, you, uh, as you feel. It has kind of a it's kind of a great big sea feel to it, if they went to church. Praise the Lord, His mercy is Oh, no, we need counts of this sound through the two 
you to um, open your Bibles and turn to Luke 24. Okay, Luke 24, we'll be reading 36 to 43. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. 
the word of the Lord. Happy Mother's Day. To the mothers of our congregation, I see you, I appreciate you, I love each and every one of you, and for a gift for some of you, I will now dismiss the children to Children's Church. Dear God, we thank you for each and every one of the children in our congregation. We thank you so very much for their excited laughs and the wonderful insights that they have into how things work. And God, I pray that as they go now to Children's Church, that you will teach them things that will last all their lives, and that you will be with their teacher to give them the words to say. God, we put this before you. Amen. All right. Children, dismiss the Children's Church. All right. If you have your bulletins on you, now is the time to pull them out couple things to add on that we're going to get. Uh, first off, this coming week, 7 p.m. at the church will be the prayer meeting. Is there women's Bible study this week? No women's Bible study this week. Wednesday at 6.45, uh, youth are going to be meeting at the church to finally be able to go for rock climbing uh, like they were going to right before that blizzard hit. And so that is going to be a good time for them. 6.45, meet at the church uh, next week. 9.45, Sunday school, and then the worship service. Skipping down, uh, June 5th, 2 p.m., there is going to be a gospel music afternoon in memory of George Rogers. And so uh, put that on your calendar. Also on June 5th, there is going to be the YFC Fun Ride. That starts at 12.30 at the Honda dealership in Portage. That's where you register. And there is going to be the after party at the co-op parking lot, uh, co-op home center parking lot. Don't accidentally go to the little island at the gas bar there. Go to the home center at Gladstone. There we go. If you have any questions, talk to uh, one of the reps. That's either Henry Dawson or Emily. They can tell you everything you need to know about that event. June 12th, Sunday school picnic. Uh, make sure to put that one on your calendars. It has been Two, three years, 2019 was our last one. And I don't want to tease too much until it's 100% certain, but we might have a special, uh, a bunch of special guests coming. Bilal and Fatima are hoping that that'll be the uh, day that they can come out and meet everybody. And so, uh, June 12th, Sunday school picnic. Make sure to put that down. And June 26th, the Interdenominational community service is going to be once again held, and it's going to be at the arena this time. Uh, and so we are busy, all the, the pastors in the community are busy planning that one down. And so June 26th, there is going to be more details coming over the weeks to come. 10.30 a.m. is when that one's going to start. Any other announcements? Saturday, May 14th at 2 p.m., there is going to be uh, a memorial celebration for Beverly Giesbrecht, so put that on your calendars as well. That'll be here at the church. Okay, then moving on to items for prayer. One thing I'll add to there, continue to pray for Evelyn Thiessen's family uh, during the weeks to come as they, they sort out different things. It was a wonderful funeral, uh, but... As always, while we are happy that she is with the Lord, now there are people left behind, and so we want to pray for them. We want to also pray for the farmers, because I don't know if you guys have noticed, there's an awful lot of water that has come down over the past couple months, and so we want to pray that soon they'll be able to get out into the field and that the conditions will be just right for a good crop this year. Uh, we also are going to pray for Travis and Rosie, because they are leaving on Wednesday. Uh, to go back to Paraguay. We're going to put off that prayer uh, because we'll have a special prayer for them at the end of the service, but make sure to keep them in your prayers uh, over the week that the travels go well and that they are met well when they get home. And safety and relief uh, for all of the many, many people in our province who have been affected by the flooding. I being from the Interlake and graduating out of Arburg, have seen the town that I grew up in, and it is underwater. So uh, I would appreciate prayer for all of my family that I still have there, uh, as well as the many other towns across our province that are currently 
just waiting for the rains to stop. With all of that said, let's go now into a time of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning, first off, thanking you for our mothers. Lord, we thank you for what they have taught us. We thank you for all that they have done for us. We thank you for who they have helped us become. We also thank you, well, we just thank you for them. God, also in our prayers today, though, are the people for which Mother's Day is a hard day. Lord, we pray comfort for them for whatever reason that that might be. God, we also want to bring before you the family of Evelyn Thiessen this morning. We thank you so much once again that she has gone home to be with you and that she is in paradise in your embrace, but we pray for the family left behind. It'll be a time of adjusting over the time to come, a time of remembering all of the memories that they have of their mother. And so God, we pray be with them, be the comfort that they need and be that rock that only you can be for them. And God, we wanna pray for our province today. God, we wanna pray for all of the rains that have come. God, we wanna pray for all of the towns that are currently flooded or are possibly heading that way if all of the rain slated for this coming week does come. God, we pray be the safety that our province needs. Help us to foresee where the waters are going to come so that we can push them back. Lord, it has been an awful long time since we have had a spring like this, and we remember how you were with us the last times. And so we pray be with us again now. And God, we also want to pray in the same vein for the farmers, not only in our congregation, but our community, as well as the province-wide as well. This has been a very untypical spring. And so God, as they look to get out there on the fields to get the seeds in, we pray that things will dry up enough that that can happen sooner rather than later, and that the conditions will be just right for a great, a great harvest come fall. Lord, all of these things we put before you today. In your name we pray, amen. All right. If you have your Bibles on you, Luke 24, verses 36 to 43. That's a passage that begins uh, right where last week left off, with the apostles told by first-hand witnesses that Christ has risen from the dead. And there we read, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When I read this part of the story, sometimes I wonder what I would do in the apostles' shoes. They've had a bit of a whirlwind time. They had been told by Christ himself that he would rise from the dead on more than one occasion over the last several months, particularly, but years as well, as they traveled with him. And then they had been told only hours before by the women that were in their group that the tomb was empty. And then Peter, their now de facto leader, had gone to check out that empty tomb, and he returned, and he said the same, that it was empty. To which finally, only a a short while later, these two lesser disciples of Christ uh, that we talked about last week, they come to the apostles claiming to have actually walked with Jesus, actually welcomed them home into their home, actually attempted to share a meal. And to this whirlwind of information, what is it that the apostles, we read, what is it that they do? Do they... Do they run out and try to find the Lord themselves, or do they spread this amazing news far and wide? No, they, they hunker down and they, they, they discuss among themselves what these reports could mean. Thus reading this, Luke is quite insistent 
that it should be obvious to these men what these reports mean. They mean what they sound like they mean, that Jesus is alive. But when all the world that you know always works one way, I suppose that we should really hold off judging them too hard for not being so easily swayed to thinking that this time it's another. In this way, I suppose the apostles are a stand-in for all the many people over the years who have heard this story and immediately just thought, no way, no, Christ, you don't rise from the dead. But as they talk, what do we see? We see Christ appear. We're not told how, just that he does. And peace be with you is what our Lord says. And there is an awful lot in that greeting. To begin, I suspect the apostles in that exact moment in time were in a place where they could very much so use that peace of our Lord. They had witnessed their savior, they had witnessed their friend, they had witnessed the person they have dedicated the last several years of their life to die. To which far from getting the closure that they would need to move on, they just kept getting bombarded by reports of what they were sure were impossible things. That he had risen. That would have been cause for turmoil if there ever was one, I'm sure. And to this, Christ says, peace be with you. And it's more than that. Because what's the official reason that Jesus Christ was crucified? He was crucified for high treason only days before this. Which means that these apostles, who would have been Jesus' inner circle they most likely would have been seen by the powers that be that killed Christ as his accomplices. There are reasons that we're told that Peter denied Jesus three times the night he died. That any moment there might be a knock on his door from henchmen looking to drag him off to do the same. That's definitely one of them. But peace be with you is what to the apostles our Lord says now. And beyond even this, they've traveled with Jesus for a long time. And that, that would have gotten the blood up. Must have lit a fire in these men. Seeing all the injustices and sin that our Lord constantly confronted, constantly railed against being told perpetually of how soon the new creation would arrive, the world redeemed, the world resurrected, the world set right, the coming kingdom where God's peace would finally reign. Again, peace be with you is how Jesus greets the apostles when he sees them for the first time after his death and his resurrection. The peace of God is with you now. And our passage continues. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see that a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. In our modern times, there are people that we likely all know, maybe we are ourselves, who believe in the existence of ghosts. In the times of Jesus, though, the existence of ghosts wasn't really a matter of belief. They were instead an assumed part of life. They were an assumed part of how the world worked. More like how we think of gravity. They were a part of how the people of that time understood how things worked. So when the apostles now see Christ, who they witnessed die standing before them, Obviously, that's going to be where their minds immediately go. Like, if we drop the ball and it falls to the ground, our minds are automatically going to say, that's gravity that did that. It's the same kind of thing here. 
The apostles saw Christ crucified. They saw him give up his last breath, and then they saw him pierced by a spear in his side and then buried in an airtight shroud in the grave. And yet now he stands before them. That would have been a, of course, he's a ghost. That would have been exactly what happened there. That would have been where their minds of anyone who heard this account from the first century would have automatically gone. That was the obvious assumption to make. Scary, sure, I mean, ghost. But obviously, they would assume that that was what was going on. But Jesus sees this assumption written on the apostles' faces, and so he moves to address it by giving what is possibly the first example of a Christian apologetic that we see ever, the first time that there is a defense of one of Christianity's core beliefs happen. Jesus says, touch my hands, touch my feet. He says that to the apostles. And everyone hearing of this encounter through to the end of time, he tells that to us as well. Ghosts are visions. Ghosts are ethereal. But here we see that our Lord is not. Here we see that he is tangible. He is real. He is physical. A ghost does not have flesh and bone, we read, but as the apostles slowly overcome their fear and then they crowd around them and then they touch them, they find that the Lord can't be a ghost because he has a body. The Lord can't be a ghost because he has the same physical body that he had, just, just renewed, just risen, just resurrected as he said that he would be, and as the angels confirmed. And our passage then concludes. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything I could eat? To which they give him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. I want us to note that the first thing that the apostles focus on when they see our risen Lord and the first thing that our risen Lord points out are the places on his body where the wounds of the crucifixion are evident. In other gospels, the wound in his side where he was pierced by the legionnaire's spear, that's mentioned as well. We're going to come back to that in just a bit, but... For now, see that even though Christ is alive, even though he is resurrected, he still bears the scars that his body had incurred before his death. His body is not simply a brand new one, as if nothing of his life before his death mattered in the slightest. It is the body that he had, but now it's free of death. Now it is clothed in the immortal, to borrow from Paul. Christ is risen. Christ's body is renewed. Now Christ's body is what a body should be. And in realizing this by touching him, the apostles finally begin to find that peace that our Lord greeted them with. The peace that can only be found in this fallen world by looking to that amazing hope that we see in the resurrection. They are almost there, but because of joy and amazement, we're told that they still don't yet fully believe. To which Jesus suddenly finds himself with an appetite. These are a bunch of true Galilean boys born and raised, so they would have grown up in seaside towns. They're not far off, so of course they have some fish on hand to which Jesus scarfs them down, broiled with that slight crisp. Ghosts don't do that. Ghosts don't eat. And in that, the peace of God finds the apostles fully. In that, they all believe. And it's wonderful how once again in the gospel, the Lord's followers finally truly see their Savior 
over the sharing of food. This passage holds an awful lot for us Christians. Not only does it ease our fears if we were afraid that Jesus wasn't alive, but it also tells us a whole lot about the future that is to come. Here's a passage that I had the honor to read from my grandmother Mary's funeral when she passed away back in the fall. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 58. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself in the imperishable, and the mortal in immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? According to that chunk of scripture and a number of others like it, the hope for Christians for after we die is that for us what will happen is the same as what will happen for our Lord. Bodily resurrection. With these bodies of ours, though now on the decline, though now withering, though now breaking down, then how like we see Christ's body in our passage today, clothed in the imperishable, wrapped in immortality, risen from the dead, along with all of those who have gone to our Lord before us and all that will go after us as well. We are told in Revelation 21 that this is a transition that all creation will experience from mortal to immortality with the old heaven and the old earth itself passing away and the new heaven and the new earth, the resurrections of the old, but without that sting of death, without that scourge of sin, finally healed, redeemed, rising in their place. With Christ on the throne of his kingdom finally fully coming for the rest of time. This is what the Bible tells us that we have to look forward to one day in the end. And it is sometimes hard to believe. To us on so many days, it can seem rather fantastical in our modern minds that we slip into thinking that it's just clearly impossible. Obviously, it's not true. But here's the thing. The people of Jesus' time, though not as technologically advanced as we are, they were no idiots. They knew how to tell if someone was dead. More than that, they, they were likely better at telling if someone was dead than we are. They were around death perpetually. Diseases without cures ran rampant. Oppressors all had an ax to grind. These were people who saw death. And so when we are told that our Lord died, you can trust that he actually died. Even if by some miraculous fluke he survived being hung on a cross for hours, survived the legionnaire's spear thrust into his side, being wrapped in an airtight shroud when he was buried for days on end, that, that would have done it. And yet in our passage today, here he stands. Not as a ghost, but physically before the apostles, after having appeared to others before them. People who touched him and saw his body was real, all of whom go on to attest over the years to come, many of them on pain of death, that this happened. Christ is alive. And if Christ is alive then surely that he tells us that one day 
we and all of his creation that he loves will know our own resurrections. Surely that means there's a lot of weight to that. Surely that means that there's a lot of assurance in that. And surely that means that there is peace for what is to come to be found in him telling us that. But it's here in this perfect peace of knowing what will come as our Lord tells us. But I want to remind you one again of that thing that we noted before, that Christ's body still has the scars of his life before his death on it. To many of us who have rickety old bodies, myself very much so included, if my cardiologist is to be believed, that there will be a semblance of our old bodies in the one to come that, that holds a certain amount of apprehension. To say nothing if you suffer from self-image issues or dysmorphia or feeling that bodies are dirty or sinful or if you have a condition worse than mine. There's something in that thought that what is now will also be then that is just feels wrong. But there are scars on the resurrected Christ's hand and on his feet that were inflicted before he died. So there's no getting around that what happens now does impact what is to come. But thinking about that one for a good long time, here's what I see as a thing about that. When you look at those scars on Christ's hand and his feet, what is it that you see there? I see the extent of God's love on perfect display, that he would be willing to go even to that death for us. I've heard it said before, don't be ashamed of your beauty marks, your stretch marks, your scars that you accumulate over your life because they all tell the story of where you have been. That Christ are there with him after he is resurrected, that it is still his body in a way that shows that the life that he lived before actually matters for something, doesn't it? That he has those scars that matters that we still see them. If upon death and the resurrection, it was just starting from scratch with no connection to our past, then, I don't know, what would be the purpose of anything that came before death then. I live a life for anything if one day it's just going to be hitting the full reset. But that we see Christ's scars after the resurrection. That shows that to God, there's something in the old that is actually worth resurrecting. That shows that what we do now can have value in it, can have purpose in it, can have beauty in it. That the old is resurrected and in some way endures. That means that, that, means that what we choose to do now, that matters for something. It means that what we are now matters for something. That means that when God says that he loves the world, that when God says that what he created was good, that when God says that he loves us, there is weight in that. Because he loves us to the point that he will on that day not even allow death to take his creation and us his children from him. It might seem wrong that what was will also be. But I think that that's more in my own mind than what the actual truth is. 
Because to God, it seems that what we are now is something that is worth resurrecting. This brings us to our assignment today. The day will come when in a flash we will, like our Lord, know bodily resurrection. And in that truth that we can see a foretaste of in our passage today, looking at the risen Christ, not only can we see how much God loves us, but we can also see how what we choose to do, follow, as we follow him, it actually matters because even what we do now, there is an impact on what will be then. There is comfort in this. But I think there's also obligation. There's obligation because if creation is resurrected, you and me, then what we choose to do now to build what will be in this new creation, that will last as well. So what are we doing to build that new creation now? And how you relate to others? Are you building them up in a way that is going to last? Are you being loving, caring, encouraging, willing to call them out as a friend should? Are you being Christ-like or as is very easy sometimes, instead putting ourselves first and dehumanizing and tearing them down and tearing them apart. When you were out in creation, which is just beautiful this time of year, how are you building the creation that will come, the creation that will last? Don't need to turn on the news for too terribly long to know that things aren't looking too great for the environment around us. So what are we doing to lower our carbon footprint as we can? What are we doing to clean up after ourselves? Or instead, are we simply treating the world as something to be exploited away into oblivion? The answer to that question is going to differ for each of us depending upon where we are and what we are doing. But we need to wrestle with it. And when you spend time in thought about yourself as you look in the mirror, what are you building there that's going to last? Are you working to overcome the sin that is in your life or turning a blind eye? Or if you're someone who needs to hear this, as I often am, do you know that it's okay to go see a doctor or a therapist? Or it's okay to say if you're not doing okay? I think we're all a little like that. What we do now has an impact on the world that will come. Clearly in that time when things are set right and the new creation and all the terrible things that are now are addressed and contended with and we are met with something wonderful, there is a lot of things we don't know about what will come, but what we do know is that we can be building now part of the kingdom to come. So for your assignment this week, Here's what I want you to do. Wrestle with these questions. How does knowing that what you do now matters for what is to come? How does that color how you live your life towards others? How does that impact how you live in this wonderful world of ours? And hardest of all, how does that impact how we live in our own heads? Grapple with that. By moving toward the resurrected Christ, you will need to follow and need to address these answers.
And by doing that, you will find the peace of the kingdom come closer than you knew it was before. The day is coming, my brothers and sisters, when the trump will sound. And we will ourselves know that wonderful bodily resurrection that we see on our Lord in our passage today. So let us prepare ourselves for that glorious day. And fittingly, today we will be having communion. We read in 1 Corinthians, For the tradition I received from the Lord and also handed on to you is that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. For whenever you eat this bread then and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. At McGregor EMC, we believe that communion is open to all believers. We'll say if you have young ones beside you that might not know what is going on, that you can decide for yourself, parents, but I am delighted that you can join me in this. Let's spend some time in prayer readying ourselves to join together with the rest of church throughout time as well as our Lord ourselves through this wonderful act. Our Lord, we thank you for communion. Our Lord, we thank you that in the same way we see the apostles together with you sharing in this act, so too can your church be with you through this. And we see you clearly through this. Our God, we pray that the significance of that is never lost on us. Thank you. Amen. And together we eat. And together we drink. I ask that you join me now in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The last several months we've sung the same song after communion each time, and we'll do it again today. If you'd like to read out of your hymn books, it's number 286, blessed be the tie that binds. You can sing this song with an emphasis on the, on the second verse and the third verse. End of the second verse, our fears and hopes and sins are one, our comforts and our cares. You can also sing it with an emphasis on the first verse and the, and the title, 
Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Uh, and we'll do that today. We'll also, if, you're, if you are reading it out of your book, um, we'll insert a little pause, a bar of pause, uh, after the word binds, blessed be the tie that binds, and after our hearts in Christian love. And then the second line just carries, just carries right through. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask Travis and Rosie to come up and the whole family too. It has been wonderful to have you out for the last couple months. Next time I will plan having a child in a way that I can spend more time with you guys, but it's been wonderful being able to see you guys and hear from you all the same. While it's going to be sad that you are going home on Wednesday at the same time, you're doing such wonderful work there, your whole family, that I know that that's where God wants you to be. And so I'll ask everyone to join me in a prayer for this wonderful family. Our God, we thank you so very much, the Zacharias's. God, we want to pray your blessing on their ministry in Paraguay. We want to acknowledge your blessings that have been on them in their time there already. And we also want to pray that as they fly home, it will be somehow a wonderful time in the air. God, we pray be with them. We bring this before you. Amen. All right. For our benediction today, we turn to the book of Numbers. May God bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his face and bring you peace. Go now and serve our Lord. Sing the last verse of that song another time. Put the amen on at the end. It's a fitting sending for uh, Travis and Rosie and for us as we go into the When we <laughs>